uh, we'll go ahead and start in Genesis 6, and I'll read through the entirety of 6, 7, 8, and 9, and we'll just go home. Sound all right? <laughs> but we find ourselves at the great flood. We began uh, the In the Beginning series looking at Genesis 2, 3, and 4, but we're extending it this morning to look at verses 7, 8, and our chapter 7, 8, and 9 at the great flood, because I feel like we can't walk through the In the Beginning series without also looking at Noah and the flood. So much of what we've seen in Adam and Eve's story and Cain and Abel's story continue to reflect themselves in the story of Noah. So the story is cohesive, and I think if not anything, it's going to continue to further and exemplify what we're trying to see in this series and in Genesis 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. We find ourselves just a few verses later in chapter 6, verse 6, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up with me, and we're going to kind of look around at a few different places, and you may have to point your finger in a few different points and kind of stay there for a moment and navigate alongside, but in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, we see the state of mankind, and in number one on your outline, you're going to see is the corruption of mankind. Chapter 6, verse 6 says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man and the greatness of the wickedness that was in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 6 of Genesis And we see here at chapter six, the wickedness is so widespread in the earth that it grieved the heart of God. How bad do you think the grievous nature of sin on the earth must have been that it grieves the heart of God to the point that he is believing that he needs to blot out every creature, every creeping thing and birds of the the heavens, everything must be blotted out. I mean, think about what this looks like for us to grieve the heart of God. I don't know if you've had a a teacher in your life or maybe a coach or maybe it's your parents who you love deeply. I can think about a couple times in my life that I maybe upset or disappointed my dad, my mom, love them, uh, have a great relationship with my parents, grew up having a great relationship, respected them deeply. And there are a few times in my life that I know deeply disappointed my dad. My mom, you know those times where your dad or mom looks at you and say, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And as a, as a kid, man, there is nothing worse than hearing you disappointed your beloved parents. And there's something in us when we love our parents, when we love our, our teachers, our coaches, when we respect them greatly, we want to do well for them. We, we want them to like us in return. We want to perform well for them. And, and here, we recognize we... We have the potential to grieve the heart of God. And I'm so thankful that God uses the language here through the pen of the Genesis writer to say that he was grieved to his heart. That so deeply was God grieved over the sin of mankind, the wickedness in the earth. Genesis continues and says, Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, It was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. 
I mean, this is the hallmark of a believer is that we would so, so desire not to grieve the heart of God. The same way when I I find out I grieve my parents' heart, it hurts me to the point that I don't want to do it again. As a believer, if we know what grieves the heart of God, there should be everything in us that say, if this grieves the heart of God, I want to go the other way. I don't want any part of that because I love the Lord. I don't want to grieve his heart. And you see in verse 11 that violence and corruption, the earth was filled with it. I mean, try to activate your imagination for a moment and just think what this looks like. That from Genesis chapter two, Adam and Eve fell into sin and the curse was on the land and then you move a little bit further and Cain kills Abel, right? The first family killing each other. I mean, wickedness and sin has just found its way everywhere on earth. It reminds me of our backyard. We have a a little issue with bamboo. We moved in, I thought, man, that bamboo looks beautiful, it's growing well, it's privacy everywhere, I love this bamboo. The next year, all of a sudden, bamboo erupted from the earth. I mean, just erupted from every possible feature of our backyard, everywhere. And I I go and I was like, you know, I need to kill this bamboo, so I I start chopping it down and I go and I, I go to the store and asking, what can you do about bamboo? And they just start laughing. And you're like, this is, this is not good. Apparently, bamboo is massively evasive with these root systems that go down and they just go everywhere in your yard. And year over year, they just grow and expand. And to kill it, you've got to like drive stakes down deep into the earth and keep them from expanding. And so I do what most of us do. I just go out and I chop it down from the top and wait for next year when it grows back up, right? Even though knowing that this bamboo is working its way all the way under my yard, roots growing everywhere, what am I going to do? Every season, bamboo grows, shears, cut it down. As soon as it's visible, as soon as it becomes a problem, I'm going to cut it down while letting it just fester under the surface. What does sin do for us but grow and grow and grow? And sometimes we say, oh, it's getting to a level I don't like. I'm going to chop it down. I'm going to keep it, keep it under control under the ground. Nobody can see it. As soon as it gets a little higher, chop it down. You know, hey, we're good. Nobody sees it. It's all good. No problem. But under the surface. Sin continues just to grow and fester and weave its way into every portion and part of our hearts. Friends, the only way to get bamboo is to do some destruction, is to get under the surface, to get down into the weeds, to get down into the root system and uproot that thing, kill that thing, and get rid of it. Until I do that, it's going to continue to fester and grow and grow and grow and grow. And in the same way, as sin is becoming rampant into the hearts and to the people and to the widespread nature of the earth. Can I tell you again, it feels a little bit like this is where we're living in this time of day, that wickedness, evil, violence, mess is just prevalent, not just right here, but on the face of our earth. I mean, doesn't it, I mean, don't you feel that? You turn on the news, you read the paper, you get on your social media, don't you just, I mean, don't you just feel like, could it have been? Is it much worse than what was here? But it's from there, we recognize the corruption of mankind and we also recognize, number two, the character of Noah. 
I want us to really pull in close here because this is what is so unique that somehow in the midst of all this corruption and violence and evil, sin everywhere, every inclination of the hearts of mankind everywhere, somehow in the midst of all of this sin is Noah. Somehow in the midst of all of this wickedness, sin, mess and nastiness and violence and evil and vile, somehow in the middle of all of this mess, dare is Noah. Somehow, Noah has found favor in the eyes of God. Was Noah perfect? Of course not. Noah had surely sinned and fallen short at some point, but somehow God has found favor in Noah. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 18. Therefore, my beloved, as Paul writes, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and spotless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Friends, can I tell you that from Noah to us, this is our calling as believers to live right smack dab in the middle of the mess. This is your calling. This is my calling. As believers, we are called by God where we are to live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that we would shine as bright beacons of light in the middle of a twisted and crooked generation. We're not called to get out. We're not called to live on communes. We're not called to live in isolated areas away from the pain and the hurt of the people. We're not called to live in isolated communities. We're called to live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and in there to shine as bright beacons of light. What our world needs is more bright beacons of light, not more camouflaged Christians going on covert operations in the middle of darkness. Friends, we are living in dark days. In days that generations before us is considered sin is now celebrated not only in the culture but even at times in the church. We are living right smack dab in the middle of a twisted culture, generation, and world. And we are not called to run away or shy away from it but live in the midst of it. Which means, as Philippians 2 tells us, we're going to hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to it. We cling to it. We hold on to it for dear life. We hold on to the word of life. Can I tell you, as the world goes towards corruption, friends, we shine even brighter. Increasingly, as the two are at odds with one another, our opportunity to shine brighter becomes all the more evident. It's almost rebellious for us as believers to live as God has called us to in the midst of this cultural trend and wave that we live in. Either way we look at it, Noah has found favor. He's been found favorable in God's eyes right smack dab in the middle of where he's living. 
But let's also consider for a moment, how old is Noah? He's no spring chicken, man. He's 500 years old. 500 years old, when he gets this word from the Lord to build this boat. Now, I know it's easy. We've, been, we've heard this story hundreds of times. We tell it to our kids. Noah built a boat. The uh, animals came. They got in the boat. They had a big time. There's basketball goal on the, on the ark. They had fun. They played Nintendo. Everything was cool. No, man. Noah built a big boat without any inclination that the waters are going to come forth, not knowing if rain was going to... By faith, Noah built a boat. This process took Noah nearly 100 years. I want you to process for a moment. In the middle of a twisted, crooked generation, day after day after day after day, Noah built the boat. Over a hundred years, in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation, in the middle of a generation that probably hurled all sorts of insults on him day after day after day after day, in the midst of a generation to say, Noah, what are you doing? How dumb are you, Noah? There's no water coming up from the ground, Noah. What are you doing, you miserable person? Wonder there other things you should do? All the while, Noah, as it says in Second Peter, a herald of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness, day after day after day after day for 100 years, Noah, by faith, built the boat. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because there are days that I feel like, hey, tomorrow, we got to get this thing fixed. We got to get this problem fixed. And I can't do this, God. It's taken me a week, and the people are not repenting of their sins, God. It's been a week. Won't you do something? Day after day after day after day, for 100 years, Noah, by faith, went out every day and built the ark. By faith. Not seeing the waters coming, not seeing the waters from below or above. By faith, day after day after day after day, faithfulness and diligence to God's word that he had given him. You see the character of Noah. The key verse is in chapter 6, verse 22. As Noah gets this word from the Lord, see what verse 22 says. Circle it, highlight it, underline it, write it down on your piece of paper because this is everything. It says Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. How simple of a verse, but how rich in its meaning. Simply stated, Noah did what God called him to do. That's it. In a moment, as we get done with our sermon time, we're going to sing trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And essentially, we're singing Noah's calling. Noah did what God called him to do. Noah faithfully did what God called him to do. And so we move the corruption of mankind to the character of Noah, and then we're going to land the plane quickly. The consequences of sin for 100 years. Number three, the consequences of sin for 100 years. The people saw the boat. They saw Noah from First Peter as the herald of righteousness, the opportunity to repent. And we see the pattern. Adam and Eve given all that they needed, yet they listened to a serpent. They fell into sin, and there are consequences for it. Cain, warned by God, hey, don't do this, Cain. Don't do this. Cain, Turn from your sin. Cain, don't do this. Yet Cain did what God told him not to do, and there were consequences for his sin. Friends, there are consequences to our sin. 
biblically, consequence when we fall short. When we, as non-believers, fall short. There are consequences to sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Feel the reality of Genesis chapter 7. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Men and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Friends, the consequences of sin for those who do not know Jesus are real. The wages of sin is death. But look to number four, the covenant of the rainbow. In Genesis chapter nine, verse 11, it says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth when the bow is in the clouds. I will see it that ever, remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. We've had a lot of rain recently and as you've looked up to the clouds, I hope that you've had that reminder of God's covenant love with us. I want you to see how this rainbow came into be. That the corruption of earth was so great, so heinous, that God would spare Noah, but would cover the earth with water. The, the, the sin of mankind was so great that God would cover the earth, killing off every creature in mankind. That God's love was so great that he would bring us this reminder of his covenant with his people, saying, never again will I flood the earth, even if wickedness were prevail, I will not flood the earth anymore this covenant of love with his people, even though their wickedness would increase, never again would he flood the earth. I ponder when we see a rainbow today, are we reminded of the wickedness of the earth and God's covenantal promise with his people? When we see a rainbow today, are we reminded that man was wicked, violent, evil, heart set to do evil? God judged the earth and flooded it And now man has a visible image of God's covenant love with those who would call upon his name. Friends, the covenant of the rainbow means much different than the covenant of our culture with the rainbow. And so I'd urge you, as you see a rainbow today, be reminded of what this looks like and means for us as believers, of God's covenant care for us, that it would humble us, not lead us towards pride, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, that we see the covenant reminder that his grace is sufficient for us and to us, that as our wickedness would increase, God would send one better who would die on the cross to save us of all of our sins. As we were reminded a moment ago as friends were plunged beneath the waters that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That's why we go beneath the water to be reminded that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But we come out of that water raised to walk in newness of life because of what Jesus and his covenant has done for us Oh, what good news we have, even in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask your help. 
Lord, in a moment, as we sing trust and obey, we're reminded of what Noah did to trust you and obey you. The command came and Noah obeyed over 100 years, day in and day out. So Lord, would we be found faithful day in and day out to love and do the things that you have called us to do well. Lord, we're not gonna be perfect. We will sin and fall short. But we look to you, Lord, as the author and the perfecter, the winner of our salvation. Lord, we want to follow you and trust in you and walk with you and be bright beacons of light in the midst of the culture that you have planted us in. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.